0: Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more, ain't
1: gonna burn ourselves out no more, got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast,
0: with Kate Donovan.
1: Hello, Fried fans, and welcome to season four of Fried the Burnout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Donovan, and my mission with FRIED is to hashtag end culture. On this pod, we end burnout culture by sharing stories of people who have been through it all, sharing expert tips from the best in the burnout field, sharing hashtag straight from Kate episodes with my own expertise and some fun research now that I'm a student again, plus sharing actionable steps to help you end burnout starting today. If you're feeling burnt out right now, and you need personalized guidance, you can book a free breakthrough burnout call with me. You'll find the link bit.ly backslash call Kate in the show notes. Also, if you love fried and want to be part of our community, we'd love to have you just head over to Facebook and type in fried the burnout podcast discussion and click to join our group. It's a place for continued healing, deeper conversations and connections with people who just get it. And now, for this week's episode. Hello, Fried fans. Welcome back to another episode of Fried, the burnout podcast. Today, my guest is Daniel Mangena, who is an international speaker, best-selling author, broadcaster, and coach. He is best known for his highly successful Micro micro to Millions program, being the author of Stepping Beyond Intention, and his Do It With Dan and Beyond Success podcasts. He is completely self-made and has spent decades perfecting his world-class coaching methodology. His mission statement to spearhead an evolutionary uplift in universal consciousness by awakening people to the importance of their unique role and enabling them to manifest their dream life. It sounds dreamy just reading through it. Daniel, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Do you prefer as, Daniel or Dan? I am actually indifferent. Secret. Okay. One of my sisters, in fact, two call me Donut. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, there are different variations of the name that are not so fitting and uh, flattering. So, Daniel, it's Daniel, totally okay. We're well.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have <laughs> you. you today.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: We usually start off the show by jumping into the guest's burnout story, yes. and then we'll use that as a springboard for the remainder of our conversation. So, if you want to okay. dive in, take this stage. I know you've done this before. You know how this <laughs> goes. So, take up as much space as you need to give uh, the true value of your story.
2: Well, I think. the 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 real conversation that let me see the futility of what i had allowed to burn me out came in a conversation i had i would say i want to say eight years later when um a friend of mine said to me dan why do you care so much about what other people have to say they've probably got enough stuff going on in their own lives and the ones that do probably care enough about you i probably got such little going on in their life, you should feel sorry for them and not really allow them to impact you. And that hit me like a freight train. And it's now been something that I really do hold dear. And there was a meme that I saw a little while after that, where there's a guy looking up at the heavens saying, Lord, save me from my haters. And there's like the whole Leonardo da Vinci God finger pointing down where God says, Dude, ain't nobody thinking about you. And <laughs> and when I look at my, you know, my burnout event and everything that unfolded, which I'm actually grateful for because it's led me to being here today. It was literally closing down and giving up on life because I had given such credence, weight and value to my belief about what other people may or may not believe or think about me. Mm. Were there people that maybe were thinking it yes, enough for me to get to the point where I got to, which was actually not even in an emotional outbreak, but quite calmly sitting down and thinking, Oh, there's not really a point in me being any, here anymore,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: actually committing myself to the process of actually committing suicide. That mm-hmm. was my burnout. It wasn't, oh my god, energy gone and oh, I'm sick. It was oh, the flames burnt bright. It's burnt out. There's nothing left. There's literally nothing in the tank. Nothing to contribute. Nothing but me being a pain. Nothing but me being a shame. Nothing but that to give. I might as well take myself off the board, and that was my burnout story.
1: What happened before that?
2: So I lost my second multi-million pound fortune at the age of 23, ended up winding up in jail for the way that I'd lost my first multi-million pound fortune. I had an unlicensed investment business. And the crazy thing was, is that it didn't even need to end up being a prison situation for me, but I was young and arrogant and basically a bit of a toe rag to the police officers on my case. Like I'm talking about like, Yawning in the interviews and rolling my eyes at them, being complete twat, really.
1: I mean, you and, were um, that age, though.
2: I, I was that age, and yeah. I had the arrogance of youth behind me. I hadn't been tested by life. And as far as I was concerned, I hadn't done what they said. So screw them. I'm just going to, do you know who I am? <laughs> they,
1: <laughs> they didn't care. Like, oh. Again, people don't care who you are. <laughs> people
2: don't care. And, uh, and they came. They came. You know, we had two trials. The first trial we won, but there was a couple of hung jury. We don't, in the UK, we don't have what you have in the US of the yeah. double jeopardy thing. So right. if they don't get you on the first time, they can try again. <laughs> So they tried again and were very vigilant in their attempts. And there was stuff that happened. And regardless of the circumstances, at the end of the day, they won kudos to them. And uh, I had to face the fact that I don't know everything. I'm not invincible. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not Johnny Big Sox that I thought I was. And that was a lot because a lot of my identity was tied up in what I'd achieved,
0: mm. who
2: I thought I was, what I thought I knew. And little did I know, and this came later, what I thought, about other people's input and the amount of weight I gave to other people's insights into that. And a big part of the journey of healing was coming to accept that even when you do have grounds for blaming other people or all of the things, it doesn't change anything anyway. So are you going to sit here and waste your current now, your present moment, fussing over what other people may or may not have done or may or may not have meant? Or are we going to take this opportunity to create something else going forward? And my work accidentally has become doing that for myself and then empowering other people to do the same.
1: So I feel like in in my life and in a lot of burnout situations, there's a lot of value put on the external accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And it comes Mm -hmm. from a couple of different places. One, I need to prove myself to the world in some level. So Mm -hmm. if enough people say that I'm great, then I can finally accept the fact that I'm great. And then I can actually (laughs) own my value as a person. (laughs) yeah right and the the other part of it for me was I have to perform a certain way for people to do these things Mm. and I think I know what those performances are but I'm Mm -hmm. making it up as I go along and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of assumptions Mm. about what people may want need desire prefer from me that mm-hmm. I am deciding for them and then supplying it and then getting mm-hmm. frustrated when I don't get the response <laughs> that I want.
2: And it's all predicated on things that we have no direct control over.
1: And <laughs> that we're assuming.
2: Perspective lenses and the illusion of control over other people, yeah. which is just keeping us out of the conscious position that we can be in to do something for ourselves. Yeah, you know, I was having a conversation with someone earlier today around, um, you know, world hunger, poverty, all the things. And, you know, they were kind of on the fence of billionaires should all be burnt at the stake. Where's the Mm -hmm. new revolution? You know, Mm -hmm. the French had it right. Billionaires don't want to feed the hungry, kill them. Okay, cool, but it doesn't really work like that. (laughs) Let's say, for example, um, there's a specific uh, outlaw at the moment of Richard Branson, who's a hero of mine. Specific outroll that he's going to space when he could be feeding people. The money that he's spending on spaceships could be feeding people. Okay, let's assume, for example, first and foremost, Richard Branson's not using his own money to be people's investors who are getting a return. A lot of it's going to be institutions, the money of which is coming from your 401k, your pension fund. So you're investing, not him. He's not d- d- redirecting funds from the homeless, he's taking the common people and actually giving them the opportunity to be a part of it, number one. Number two, let's just say he sells he sells all of his shares in Virgin, all his Virgin companies, right? C- Cashes out first and foremost. By the time he gets the end of the shares, they're not going to be worth as much. So we're going to be looking at maybe ten percent of that. Maybe we get a billion, 800 million, a billion. I think he's worth about eight billion dollars at the moment, something like that, right? How many people is he going to feed with a billion for how long? Eight billion people in the world, eight dollars a head, maybe maybe if we get cash out or if he even if he gets full value a billion eight billion dollars eight billion people there's one dollar per person is that a meal for everybody and let's look at the income the exponential increase in people that don't have the capacity to feed their families because of the fact they don't have a job there's no industry that's supporting them having something to aspire to okay or Instead of us going outside of our realm of influence and trying to string him up, what if we were to take that energy and to look at what we're doing in our own lives to actually create real solutions? In And then we community. would have to
1: do something, Daniel.
2: <laughs> and then we couldn't blame other people, right? It's just like activism. I'm a bit of an activist, like to, but I'm active in actually creating solutions for things. I don't make a big someone dance about it. We do some nonprofit stuff with my family we actually actively go and build schools. We actually go out and support the teachers in those schools. We actually go and feed the kids at those schools, give them education, give them opportunity for opportunity so that they can then be the beacons who actually create value in their local area and planting seeds that way. I could run around screaming and use my, I know a couple hundred thousand people across social media to talk about oh Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos, or I could actually do something He's like, what we gonna do? Which one? I don't. I don't
1: actually. I I don't um, share that. Like, sort of. I feel like misdirected anger at Mm -hmm. billionaires. I -hmm. I I understand where people are coming from, and I know that it's easy to get caught up in the basically the propaganda, Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: the situation. But I'm with you on this one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But but how many people are being burnt out? because their energy has being directed to things that number one, have no direct influence on their life. Number two,
1: they don't even really mean
2: anything and that they yeah. can't control. Like yeah. how many of us have done that?
1: Yeah. And that not only, I think the other part about it that's important for me is not only can you not control this thing that you're talking about, but also you are making a severe judgment of another human being.
0: Mm. Mm. And
1: where do you get off? like who who are you Mm -hmm. to do or say that Mm. and I think this is the the other part because we are like you were saying other people's judgments of you or Mm -hmm. your assumption of their judgments of you was a major Mm -hmm. part of your burnout Mm -hmm. right so this is really important and now what we're saying we don't want other people to do to us because nobody wants to walk around feeling judged and unimportant Mm -hmm. and not valuable So Mm -hmm. the judgment that we don't want to take on and the judgment that's burning us out because we're afraid that it exists, Mm -hmm. we are pouring into somebody who we don't even know.
2: My wife and I had a conversation about Elon Musk the other day and- um,
1: Weird guy. (laughs) Weird guy. My wife,
2: she had some stuff to say about him. I was like, babe, have you ever met him? No, but he's this and he's that, but babe,
1: have you ever met we him? Haven't. I've listened to a lot of <laughs> interviews. I'm, I, my, his brain fascinates me. Yeah, definitely. His brain fascinates me. So I've listened to quite a few interviews with him. And, and I, my personal opinion is he's a little strange. I don't think that <laughs> that, that strange is necessarily good or bad. There's no it's value just, attached just, to just, it.
2: Definitely some difference from some breaks from the norm. Yeah, the just, a little, just a little strange, <laughs> a little you know. Strange. But do you know what?
1: That's fine. Strangeness
2: is what we've got PayPal because of that strangeness. We yeah. have Tesla because of that strangeness. We have this revolution for more people to move towards electronic cars. I read in, I think it was Forbes this morning, that the richest man in Vietnam is, he's coming into the States with another electronic car brand and he's that competition is cool. going to breed lower prices for consumers, um, better value, better quality of product because people are going to compete. So that's going to be great for the consumer. And I know there's some questions about, the batteries doing worse for the environment than the technology and all the things. I don't know. I haven't done the research. But assuming that it's all good, better for the environment because more people are actually adopting this technology.
1: Yeah. I That's I, great. Do you know who um, Bill Bryson is? He's Why a, do I know that name? He, he writes books about... He wrote book, a book called... Um, Mm, something, something—the history of the world, like the untold history of the world, the, oh, the history, history of the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like think the, I yeah. the the history mm. of items in the home and and mm. things like that. He's a really fascinating guy, and one of the things that he writes about is, or that he wrote about in one of his books that has stayed with me for years, mm-hmm. is that when we started using toilets, mm-hmm. happened in London first. This is where. Mm-hmm we got into toilets wasn't in thank you london for toilets you know so <laughs> let's take a moment to appreciate london for toilets so one of the things that happened was they created toilets but they didn't create a sewage system because they mm-hmm. didn't know that they were going to need a sewage system because they had never had toilets before so mm-hmm. within a short period of time the thames was full of shit literally
2: yeah yeah 100% <laughs>
1: so they had to create then because of the result of their action they had to create a system that would avoid this problem. And I think mm-hmm. people want to believe, and I think this is actually a burnout thing also,
0: mm-hmm. people
1: want to believe on a global scale and on an individual scale that we can move forward in such a way that we'll never make anything that we have to clean up after.
0: <laughs>
2: I see where you go with this. Right? There's, there's going to be some poo from our inventions.
1: No matter what.
2: Mm.
1: no matter what we created these windmills and they uh, and people were like this is so exciting we're killing birds right (laughs) like Mm -hmm. we're going to create these electric batteries it's it's, we're going to stop using gas as a resource because it we're going to run out and we need these solutions so we're coming up with a solution maybe the batteries are kind of shit and we're going to have to figure out something to do with that Mm -hmm. I think that we would do better to be focused on an internal belief so my book is called the bounce back ability factor and bounce back ability part of being bounce backable is having an internal belief that no matter what shit you create in your life or no matter what shit happens to you in your life because some of it you create Mm -hmm. and some of it just arises
0: yeah Mm -hmm. it
1: just happens that you have the wherewithal and the trust in yourself to create a solution for it
2: Mm. Mm, I love that And you know what really is ringing in my bones? My body's really feeling this right now. It's remembering that we are bloody human. We are not gonna see the whole playing field. We're not gonna be able to calculate all of the things. The greatest chess player in the world is still gonna get outflanked by a computer. There's always gonna be something, but the gift is instead of burning ourselves out trying to work out all the angles, focus on being resourced to be able to deal with the angles or at least to collaborate with others who may have the solution.
1: Right. Okay. So now we're gonna get. I asked um, Daniel before we started this conversation if you're okay being challenged, and we're gonna to get to that now. And we're gonna to get to it for a couple of reasons. Uh,
0: yeah. One
1: of the reasons is because you appreciate Richard Branson.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's one of the reasons, and he has a lot to say about how he's never really done anything on his own.
0: Mm-hmm. There's always
1: been a lot of smarter people supporting him. He's done well with choosing yeah. people, etc.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now. We're talking about using our resources, i.e. people
0: mm-hmm.
1: sometimes, not not only, mm-hmm. but i.e. people in, in certain situations to help us get through things, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is literally the number one behavior, the only behavior up until this moment in the world of research and science that actually is part of the measure of our resilience is our ability to ask people for help. Oh wow! There's no other behavior that they've related to, correlated with resilience yet. There's characteristics wow. that they've correlated, but the mm-hmm. only behavior they've correlated with resilience is our ability to ask for help. Wow! So, hmm. my bone to pick.
2: <laughs> d- d- d-
1: <laughs> my bone to pick is that in your bio, mm-hmm. there's a sentence that says he is completely self-made.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: how it starts. Yes, and my father-in-law used to say this. He he built a an amazing company after the fall of the Berlin Wall in post communist Poland. Oh wow! You know, like uh, uh, he imported gas for farmers. Mm-hmm. It, it was, he was very successful and. Mm-hmm. It always niggled at me when we'd be at his house and he was like, I did everything by myself. I was like, yeah, well, Mm -hmm. your wife was your accountant and she was raising your kids and cooking three meals for you a day. Like, no, you you didn't.
2: Yeah, I think there are collective agreements. There are collective agreements around the the term self-made. And I think Mm. the context that we specifically use it in, specifically, and maybe this is something for us to bring some clarity to, although it's never brought up before, so this is a good one, is... (laughs) When people see success, they assume that it was handed mm. to the person. So when I use the term self-made, self-made business, whatever, it's not that I wasn't supported in my journey. It's that I wasn't gifted. It It was still the resources that I marshaled. Do you think the it, there's a
1: difference between those things at the end of the day?
2: Yeah, because it's the resources that I marshaled. It it's the same generative. if they
1: were given to you, though. Those are the resources that you marshaled if they were given to you.
2: I'm with you. I see you there. But from a from a perspective of, say, for example, um, there was a meme I saw once that said people only ever got rich if by inheriting it or treading on the backs of the of, working of, class. Of, right. Right.
1: Yeah, um, I've seen that too.
2: Yeah, that one. So I didn't inherit it, anything. I come from yeah. a completely normal family. Yes, they're going to say, well, you were in a first world country, you had an education, blah, blah, blah. But... There are many others from my class at school that haven't created anything, and that's not saying that they had to or there's anything wrong with that. There are people that I know, for example, um, one of my dear friends, he's sold his company for 150 million. And he's like, Yeah, so sold my hundred for 150 million and only started it with 500,000. Yeah, but his family gave him 500,000, right? Yeah. Lovely guy, lovely guy. But still he did does that. Great stuff. But he still did it. Do I think there's anything wrong with getting a hand up if you create something of value? No, what I was really my intention with it was yeah. not giving people the excuse that Oh, he got, you know, he got a silver spoon or he got that. It's really eliminating the, the excuses three of the things that I love to do number one inspiring people to want to do something different mm. number two giving them strategies guidance opportunities whatever they can use to do that and number three, removing the excuses and that was more of an excuse remover
0: yeah yeah I I'm get not that. under the I illusion I
2: did it by myself I love the way you said well even if I had I had a silver spoon I still would have had to do something with it I get it, and actually, that's a great. And point. I'm I'm
1: not a silver spoon family. I mean, I grew up in a drug ridden city with, yeah. being afraid, <laughs> you know, like being afraid to tell my parents my sneakers were too small because I knew that they weren't in the budget. Like, I'm so right it, it, I'm not saying that that's the place that I come from either. I, but I that that sentence, as far as for me, for some people, I can understand how that can be inspiring.
0: Mm-hmm. But for
1: the burnt out amongst us, mm-hmm. it might lead us to believe that we're supposed to do it alone.
2: No, I, don't, I, I, would, I would love to speak to those people that are going down that one. And
1: yeah.
2: I would love to speak to anybody that's not bringing clarity to this and thank you for this opportunity to bring this conversation forward. I don't believe anything is done in isolation. No, yeah, me either. Nothing's done in isolation. Um, and success is always going to be, I believe, a communal effort, even if that community is indirect. Yeah. Even if it's the community effort between you and the people that buy your products from you or buy your services.
1: Or the people that created the instruments that we have on our desk right now so that we can have this conversation. You know what I mean? exactly. Like there's a thousand people that needed to exist just so that we could have this, exactly. the, the software and the and the hardware and the mm-hmm. all the things.
2: Mm-hmm. My thing, like I said with that, was just not having the excuse that I can't do it yeah. because the people that did it had something that I don't have. Right. I didn't have anything that most people anything special yeah anyone that's listening to this you've got a phone you're probably in a country where you've got access to the internet you've got access to information you may not be in the best financial situation but there are resources for you to learn how to change that you've got enough to make something happen it's not going to happen on your own back alone but unless you put your back into it it's probably not going to happen either
1: Yeah, so what do you think is the difference between, like you said, there's some people that you know, that you know that you grew up with that didn't necessarily create anything and that's fine because not all of us
0: no, all need of us to class. be in some this space.
1: Yeah, right, like, and, and, th- cool.
0: th- and thank you for yeah. being a consumer.
1: <laughs> I appreciate your ears and your mind <laughs> and your heart. Thank you for
0: being here. We love and
1: that. now to our regularly <laughs> scheduled programming. <laughs> um, so not everybody is gonna be in this place, the kind of space that that we uh, take up. Um, mm-hmm. But do you think that there's a non-physical
0: mm-hmm.
1: benefit that either of us may have had mm-hmm. that allowed us to make the choices to push ourselves forward?
2: Probably. But- the non-physical we don't engage with it with our senses so it's going to be speculative anyway but I'd rather not put my energy into making speculations about that I'd rather look at the resources I do have and go from there that's yeah. where I stand on it but I yeah. do believe that that but that's what I gorgeous. think the
1: resource that's what I'm wondering about That that being the resource like my mm-hmm. my like I said I, I grew up where I grew up but my family was really tight my, mm-hmm. And my extended family was really tight. So one thing that I was never missing in my life was safety. Mm-hmm. Even if I fell, like I mm-hmm. you know you hear stories of people that lost everything and ended up on the streets. Like, I can't imagine something like mm-hmm. that happening to me, not because I can't imagine losing everything and and going broken. Def-
2: unsupported.
1: Right. I can't picture mm-hmm. that because I have thirty cousins. Because I grew up with them. Because I Mm -hmm. have this network of people Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that I know and trust and believe deeply Mm -hmm. will hold me. Mm -hmm. Does that make me more brave? I think that it does. Mm -hmm. Allows me to push the envelope more. Mm -hmm. So I think that people without that resource Mm -hmm. can also do things. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to... I think it's important to recognize and, at, at what we have
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that we know that about ourselves. You know, like okay. I, when I was 23, I was just a year short of, I was 22 actually, a year short of finishing my master's degree. And I decided to take my student loan money for a semester and fly myself to Argentina and spend three months there. I had this, I just, I had to do it. I had to make it happen. And I knew that I could do something crazy like this because I knew my parents would support it. Not financially, they didn't have anything to support it with financially, but I was like, I'm taking the student loan money and I'm gonna go do this fun thing. (laughs) Because I need to, (laughs) which was totally irresponsible, but I already paid back my student loan, so it's all good. And when I got there, the first thing that happened to me, the very first day that I arrived was I met my future husband. Wow. Wow. Right. He pulled you
2: through the ethers.
1: Right. So Mm -hmm. I was eight, but I was able to do that. Because of these internal, intrinsic, invisible resources Mm -hmm. that were available to me Mm -hmm. because of the family that I grew up in. I mean, the, we fucked some things up too, in my family. Like, yeah. Don't get me wrong, They. Uh, yeah. I also work too hard and think too much about other people, and then, you yeah. know, whatever. <laughs> there's, the yeah, there's issues, like there's there's ups and downs to both sides. <laughs> but I just think it's important to to pay heed to that. At the beginning of my book, I write about the fact that I'm standing on the shoulders of the giants that came before me. And this book mm-hmm. is dedicated to my grandmothers who lived lives that are not imaginable today. Mm -hmm. My parents were both, my father was the eighth of nine children. So by the time he was born, my grandmother was older. My mother Mm -hmm. was also sort of down the line quite a bit. So my grandparents, you know, were born sort of beginning of the century uh, of the 1900s. And so they went through a lot, A, a lot. A couple and, world
2: wars and some other fun yeah,
1: stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the inability to have, you know, neither of my grandmothers could have had a mortgage because it, you couldn't get a mortgage as a woman until after yeah. 1976. You know, like there's mm-hmm. all these things that I have available in my life mm-hmm. because of shit that they fought for, because mm-hmm. of things that they did, because mm-hmm. of values that they instilled in the parents that ended up raising me. Like, so there, it's, mm-hmm. it's just so important to me to remember the the energetic network that we live in, which mm-hmm. is why I I loved the side-by-side of that sentence that I'm, I'm like picking at a little bit because mm-hmm. I want the burnout crowd to know that they're not alone, mm-hmm. there are some resources, even if they had shitty families and they're broke, there's still mm-hmm. something in there, mm-hmm. right? And asking for help is part of that. Mm -hmm. But then juxtaposed to your mission statement, which is so universal and so encompassing Mm -hmm. and so big.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was like, wow, that is, I read through it and I was like, I'm going to pick I'm going to pick him apart on that a little bit and mm-hmm. see what happens. And I'm appreciative of, of your reaction because I think it's a great conversation. But before we continue, I want to read your mission statement again.
0: And then mm-hmm. I want to talk
1: about that a little bit,
0: mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. that came
1: from and, and, you know, kind of the, the thought process. So sure. your mission statement is to spearhead an evolutionary uplift in universal in universal consciousness by awakening people to the importance of their unique role and enabling them to manifest their dream life. That's mm-hmm. big. That's a mm-hmm. big mission.
2: I'm mm-hmm. probably more. not going to finish it, but it means I'm always going to be in a forward-moving momentum. I've always got something to keep striving for and keep uh, keep creating towards. So I'm going to stay active. I'm never going to get bored with it. But ultimately, spearhead. doesn't mean that I'm going to get it all done. It could be a millennia before more people, before we reach that tipping point.
0: Yeah,
2: It could be... it doesn't go anywhere and just a few people are inspired and the world's a little bit better for a few more people and that's okay i'm okay with that because one of the things that i'm reminded of when we look at the nature of three-dimensional reality is the tension that keeps the fiber of reality together Mm. tensions based in polarity Mm -hmm. nothing is one way continually we have night and day hot and cold nothing stays fixed everything's vibrating and moving so when i look at People that have different experiences. I love to say that everyone has a unique strand in the overall tapestry of the universe. Everybody.
1: I call this they're not.
2: They're, they're not. There you go.
1: Everybody's got their mouth.
0: Um,
2: one of my uh, one of my mentors um, was sharing with me that during the pandemic, she was going, she was in New, She's in New York City, she was going down like five o'clock in the morning or whatever to get her groceries. And there was this woman that was always at the at the desk and she always had a smile that you could see through her face mask right and so when people were going through this trying time and it's early hours in the morning and they have to have this inconvenience just so they can get some food for their house and this woman's smiling making conversation oh what are you going to be making with this and doing something to uplift them now someone might say oh my god that person's such a bum they just work as a teller in a corner store a bodega in new york but that person was literally keeping the vibration of Mm. people coming through that store up every morning Mm-hmm. That conversation I, I worked for the um, I volunteered for an organization called uh, the Samaritans in the UK for a little while, mm-hmm. which is a suicide support line.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the amount of times that I've been party to that conversation, which was the point between someone choosing life and death, and we look at the suicide rates that were going on,
0: yeah, you
2: know, especially when we're thick in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. those smalls those smiles, those loving conversations, those that was saving lives more so than a CEO at the top of an organization or what have you, or the celebrity on TV, in my opinion. Yeah. And so I really want to spark within people recognizing that the light, they're not, their strength is not contingent on society's judgment about what your role is or where you've come from or what you create or, you know. I believe that it comes down to who you are and what's showing up and that every single one of us do have something to contribute. You know, we speak about the the, the unseen hands that have played a role. You know, a person who plays a role in what we're doing now, we never know. They they probably didn't know that that was going to be contributing to what was going to be leading to something down the line. Um, we don't know what role our stuff, this conversation, who knows what it's going to do in a hundred years time, in a thousand years time, in a million years time. We don't know. We
1: don't know what it's going to do next week.
2: We don't know. Now we can obsess about that. Or we can be present and give our all to what we're doing here and now. Yeah. Right. The street cleaner. People want to crap on them and say, oh, they're just clean streets. I'd love to see you live in a world where the crap was piling up because nobody was cleaning the streets. Give them some respect. Yeah. You know, give yourself some respect. Do your best. Give it all. We're all contributing something. And if we all are focused, more and more of us are focused on what we're contributing, less more what other people think about what we're contributing or where we're contributing from or what it means and so on and so forth. That I believe is going to lead to that tipping point that I'm passionate about creating in humanity as a whole.
1: So let's go back to this space where you decided I'm done here. Mm -hmm. And this conversation with a friend Mm -hmm. who said,
2: Yeah. We don't need to care a few years later. Yeah, (laughs) it was a
1: good few years later. So what the hell happened in between?
2: I was dedicated to committing suicide. Dedicated. I wanted to know what was wrong. So now for years. Yeah. So what you have to understand is that I had a model that I built called Vision, Purpose, Faith, Gratitude, which was based on everything that I'd read leading up to the time. And it worked up to a point, but it didn't work anymore so when that collapsed, this thing that I created, that I've gone around saying, I'm Johnny Big Bollocks, I know everything that <laughs> I've done, I've, 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 I have the code to reality, and then I saw that I didn't, I, be, I said, well, and this is, again, my Asperger brain was like, well, it worked up to a point.
0: Mm.
2: Let's fix what's wrong with it. And so mm. my whole thing was, let me fix what's wrong with this. I had such little belief in myself. I basically didn't want to fail. The mm. thought of failing suicide in the fate of everything else was, was not something I could handle. I couldn't face that. Um, you can't get a gun in the UK, even if you're not in a prison. So you're not going to be able to get a gun very easily. Right. Right. And that is the only thing that I thought, if I had a gun, I put it there. That's going to work. Yeah. Everything else is a little bit too chancy. I don't want to wake up in the hospital bed with people looking around at me. And I had this whole thing of saying, oh, look, he's so pathetic. He couldn't even take his own life. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get it. I did. So, okay, well, if I work out what's wrong with my model for creating my own reality. I can create a reality successfully where my suicide pulls off and I'm out. And so I went
1: off on a journey. Okay, wait, let's slow down a second. <laughs> can we take one step backwards? <laughs> let's just, let's just pause for a moment there because you were just about to like run right through that. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah. You wanted to improve something that you, incre- that you had created that was meant to improve people's lives, to mm-hmm. get them to a place that was better. You wanted yes. to fix it so that your suicide would be successful.
2: At the time, it wasn't created for other people. And that's been a big part of my journey. Ah,
1: okay, then keep going into that.
2: Yeah, yeah. So Because I I helped people. The businesses that I created were supporting from other people, but sharing abundance and helping people Right. Yeah but the tools that I used to do that were mine. I didn't even share it with my colleagues. It was my stuff. Yeah. I did have a personal development training company, but we're more trained in specific things, not like the model, the model was my thing, Yeah. right? So I'm like, well, this model works up to a point. Let me work out what's wrong with it. If I fix it, then it won't, there won't be a thing. And then I know that I'm gonna create the situation where I go, pull the metaphoric trigger, and then I'm out. I'm gonna have my final success, and go out on a, on a high. That was my thing. I'm gonna go out on a high.
1: So suicide was going out on a high?
2: On a win rather than you know, just sort in of in
1: control.
2: To an extent, yeah. Like when I sit and think I didn't want to be like a big bashy thing, it wasn't about it's okay. I'm gonna come off the board, but I'm gonna do it and it's gonna work. I'm not gonna fail at something else. That was the big thing. Like I cannot fail at something else, especially not something that people are going, oh, look, he's pathetic. He couldn't do this. He couldn't look at that. And now Okay, so we're back do, to what
1: other people are saying, thinking, assuming, judging. People,
2: so actually thinking about what other people think about me saved my life in that particular instance, but that's another conversation. But, but, but that's what that's where I went to. But this is what actually happened was I spent the next few years going back over the steps of the model, which was vision, purpose, faith, gratitude, having a clear vision moving purposefully every day, every day contributing to it, having faith in myself and then the outcome and living life with an attitude of gratitude. That was the model. So I went to unpack all of those. I needed to understand what was bullshit about what I believed about the nature of the reality and what was real. So I started to go into the science, which of, which of it's hokey pokey, hocus pocus, right? Which of it's real? What's real? Understanding that going back over the books I'd read and saying, did I miss something? What had gone wrong? What, what, what had I miscalculated? What had I misunderstood? I went and start, learned to transliterate Hebrew and Arabic and went back into ancient texts. I went through a Keyword Study Bible and started to look through scripture and understand what the meanings of words were. Cross-referencing that with what I'd learned in spirituality and esoterics. What was BS, what was real? I was going back and back testing from what teachers had told me. Is he full of crap or is he real? I need to know where I've been led astray where I did myself straight what was gonna work, what wasn't, going back into ancient wisdom, going back into science, and then the secret came out. And I was like, that's bullshit. I need to see what's bullshit about that, what works and what doesn't. Studying their lives, who's actually got results, who's only gonna make money because they're gonna tell people this stuff. But here's the thing, you spend a couple of years, reading, you know, spending like your entire day reading books, listening to tapes, reading papers of a positive nature and completely, like, I was just completely tunnel visual. Only that. We're talking years. I was locked up sometimes for 23 hours a day. I had nothing to do but read. I taught myself to play guitar and other things like that. But I had nothing to do but read and study. And I spent that time reading, reading studying, studying, learning. Reading, studying, learning. And then I didn't even realise it. But I got out, started to rebuild my life. Started to do business. That was going really well the relationship that I was in kind of fell apart but I was kind of good in my own skin and happy by myself I was learning to deal with the the diagnosis of my Asperger's and integrating that and I woke up one morning realized oh shit I've been choosing life when did when When I can't tell you I can't Mm -hmm. tell you where the change happened there was no big lightning thing in the sky
1: it seeped in over time
2: it seeped in over time I accidentally rewrote I positively polluted myself with so much positive content that the, the the intention changed. Yeah. And for me, that becomes, then. well, those people that think, oh, you know, all I am is a loser in that world, change the inputs. I know that from personal experience. I wasn't trying to make my life better. That's not what I was trying to do. But when the content speaks to that, that's what's going to happen. Mm. And when I backtracked the journey and started looking at the pieces of the puzzle that had to be in place in order for change to happen, and then started to apply those consciously, I saw that the growth actually became exponential. And that's where Beyond Intention came from. I managed to break that down into a few steps. as I cycled through, I was unable to then consciously repeat an ongoing cycle of sustainable success. And then a few years after that, when I started to share it with other people, started to see it with them too, And that's where I got here today, but it was an accident. I had no intention of choosing life. It happened because the inputs that I polluted myself, I pummeled myself with, spoke to life.
1: Which is so interesting because I probably read all those books (laughs) (laughs) because I am an avid reader. I can see the bookshelf. Yeah, and that's not even, this is- I I know,
2: I know. This is
1: nothing. Yeah. And what happened to me was I was doing it with an intention to improve my life
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and it led to bring me burning out Mm. because I was taking only the action steps Mm -hmm. and I was coding them into my knowledge so mm-hmm. I had the knowledge, I had the mm-hmm. intellectual level of things, but mm-hmm. I never let it permeate my body, my wisdom, my being. It mm-hmm. was like, well, I know all these things, so everything should feel great. <laughs> and it didn't. It. So <laughs> I was real confused.
2: Do you know what's really hilarious about that? Because what I see more is people doing that with the energy, spiritual, that aspect of the non-physical. Yeah. And a big part of my whole stop meditating movement, I've got T-shirts and snapbacks and everything, is yeah. people getting caught up in one piece of it and losing sight of all of it coming together. For you, well, the energetic flow wasn't there to support what was going on. and So it wasn't becoming part of your being, therefore yeah. it wasn't translating over. Yeah. Your body wasn't able to hold all of that energy that, you, that you'd taken in mentally, and so it burnt out physically. Yeah. Whereas stuff like, for example, Kundalini Yoga is really powerful in upgrading the nervous system to be able to hold more, right? right? which has been great for me in my journey. But then even that doesn't matter if there's nothing happening in the mind to create new thought forms, to create something different. And that's not going to be supported if the emotions, the energy, literally, uh, where we're focusing our energy isn't supporting it too. It's a holistic thing.
1: Do you know that I'm an acupuncturist by profession?
2: I do know now, and I I can see why that works for you, because now you understand the the meridian lines and the way that the energy is being blocked and allowed to flow.
1: Mm. Yeah, and my whole life has been about paradox forever, that tension between the the two sides, because all of Mm -hmm. Chinese medicine is based on the Tai Chi symbol,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? The white exists within the black, the black exists within the white. The Tai Chi symbol is always shown as a static image, but it's not a static thing. It's a, it's a constantly moving thing and it's moving in Mm -hmm. all the directions at once. And so Mm -hmm. all of this is, is like, I started my degree program when I was 19. Mm -hmm. So it's been, it's been half my life (laughs) now (laughs) of all of this. Um, And there was something that you said before that I lost because then I I went down this journey with you into other things. Oh, this is what I'm thinking about. So a lot of times when we're talking about recovering from burnout, Mm -hmm. I have to explain to people that there's such a thing as psychosomatic, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. So there's some emotional energy stuck somewhere, some -hmm. physical thing is created, but there's also such a thing as somatopsychic, that there is some physical thing happening in your body and it creates Mm -hmm. a certain emotional energy, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And what I think that you are saying now, if I understand you correctly, is that I'm using those descriptors to talk about symptoms Mm -hmm. and you would be using them to talk about intake, So you can take in information through Mm -hmm. your body and it will affect Mm -hmm. your mind and you can take Mm -hmm. in information through your mind and it will affect your body.
2: I believe there's a symbiotic relationship between these parts of ourselves. Yeah. Um, When I teach, I teach about something I call the flow funnel, which is where I depict actually pure energy and matter and the journey of a thought into, but it's not like this thing. It's happening in quantum in snapshots. There's a boom, boom, boom. We're yep. moving in and out of form and it's happening at a pace that we, I don't believe we can humanly depict, but there's a symbiotic relationship. What I'm feeling, thinking and and doing, how I'm moving through time and space, the thought forms I'm holding, the vibrational flow, we're all dancing together. And we experience snapshots of that and we call it our physical reality. Mm. And we can interject with intentionality to change what's going on with the direction of vibrational flow through our emotions. We can use our emotions through the body out to direct the vibrational yeah. flow. That can then impact the thoughts. We can direct our thoughts to change what's going on with our unconscious behaviors. Our body can be directed to change our emotional state. If I do this, and right. I can change yeah. my emotional state. Yeah, power I poses. Change, right. I can change my thoughts based on when I go into a familiar place, I'll have unconscious thoughts that lead me back into triggers. So yes. there's a relationship between all of them, but we can interject. And when we start to change the environment, like I did with myself, it will change and seep into what's going on. Yes. Having an uplifting feeling when you're in an uplifting environment is an easy thing to do. When the yes. environment's been changed to be something that's emanating uplifting energy, that's going to have an impact. It's gonna change yes. the combination of things going on. Not always to a great degree, when we start to starve ourselves of nourishment at any level, I believe we can start that cascading effect into what we call burnout, which may be experiencing the body last, but that's not where it starts because the body is the last point of experience of what starts off as a vibration. So we burn out vibrationally first, which I believe is cutting ourselves off from vibrational nourishment. We can burn ourselves out mentally, trying to take on too much without a space for the energy to move, either energetically through exercise through things like yoga or spiritual practice or through using those thoughts or through moving it through our body by actually acting on it. Um, That's my belief on it. I may be wrong. Who knows? Maybe I'll ask St. Peter one day. Until then, I'm just going to keep going on with it until it stops working for me. I
1: absolutely agree. And I, I I want to highlight this idea of burnout being a result of a thought slash belief slash decision that we make at some point Mm -hmm. to prevent nourishment from being in our lives Mm. on some level. On some level on some, on, or, and sometimes on, on all levels. Mm-hmm. So we deprive ourselves of uh, physical nourishment because we don't paint the wall that we hate the color of, and we deprive mm-hmm. ourselves of emotional
0: <laughs>
1: nourishment when we don't share ourselves with the people that we love and allow them to be there and support mm-hmm. us and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is um, we talked a lot about environment earlier this season on the podcast with my friend Carolyn Brown, who's a nutritionist in Denver Boulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and she moved from New York city to Denver. And we talked a lot about this change. My mm-hmm. burnout happened when I was in Poland and mm-hmm. Poland was not a nourishing place for me. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's a bad place, but it wasn't, Just a, wasn't for you. it was not a vibrational nourishing place for me. For you. Mm-hmm. And now we just bought a house in November that I really, really love. And there's a door back there behind me that you can see. And it, mm-hmm. it enters into a, a really big closet, like six foot by six foot closet, which is becoming my podcasting studio. Nice. And I've already done all the practices, right? It's been saged, it's prepped, mm-hmm. it's, you know, and it's I good. already feel so good in there and I'm not even in there yet,
0: mm-hmm. mm.
1: right? That's nourishing. So I want mm-hmm. to highlight that th- that that word
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I think that it's incredibly important. And I know that we are already coming to the top of the hour, which seems incredible to me, but I want to <laughs> also talk about the Asperger's diagnosis, yes, because it's really common for people with undiagnosed neurodiversity mm-hmm. to burn out. Yes. Anything from ADHD to anything along the autism Asperger's spectrum to, mm-hmm. I mean, it, there, there's so many options. So mm-hmm. w- was there something that actually made you go to somebody and say, I need to figure this thing out? Where, was it recommended? Like, how did this happen?
2: So the physical impact of my Asperger's was showing up throughout my life. When I look back now, it's so funny because after I was diagnosed, like everyone was like, hey, just wondering, um, no offense, but are you, are you on the spectrum? Are you on the spectrum? It's like, where the fudge were you 20 years ago? Shit, like nobody knew anything. And then it just made sense to everybody. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Because that that that, you know, I had no friends growing up. Like mm. really my, my two best friends, Nathan and Jamie are the only people that weren't coerced because they went to church with my mum or family members to be my friends. <laughs> like everyone, like every year, somebody might walk to school with me because I was useful for something, but it probably didn't last more than the year. So let's about. talk
1: about why it was so important to you to have that external validation.
2: Because I didn't, I didn't have right. it. Right. So it, everything, it, again, everything started to make sense. Yeah. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Even when I look at the shitstorm of the business, the first business that I had that went to poop, like if I had made the decision about the partners I had in business based on people's proficiency, versus my first partner being a friend that I had. He was my friend. I was useful to him. His brother's like, oh, you've got that opportunity. I'd love to do business. And then his entire foray of friends coming in who had no business experience at all. None of us did. I was 19, they were all older than me, but I was just useful. Had I gone into business with proper people, maybe the things that weren't in line, like the right paperwork and stuff, wouldn't have happened and things could have worked out beautifully. Mm. I don't know. It didn't happen that way. But a lot of decisions tracked back to me making choices based on, oh, I'm accepted. Okay, I'm going mm. to go with that versus this is the best thing to do. Mm. But all of that made sense. Now, one of the things was that I had crippling insomnia that would kick in a few times a year. Okay crippling as in just no sleep, none, it's just not happening and it'll be fine at first and then at some point it would start to really wind me down and I'd had this all of my life. I remember once at high school it was in the middle of it happened in the middle of a school play that I was acting in that it really really kicked in I was like I don't know how I'm going to function and I was like oh my god the stress anyway long story short I was going through one of these uh, cycles at the very end of my sentence. So it's the end of my sentence. I had like three months to go, something like that before I'm gonna be getting out. And then I had this this horrible, horrible two weeks didn't. It was really bad because, you know, being incarcerated is not really the place that you wanna not be on your game because you you don't know what's gonna happen. Okay, so I need to be able to function and I had a particular challenge with a particular officer that was really determined to try and give me extra time on my sentence and frame me for something. So I I needed my brain functioning. So I go to the doctor, my dog, I need some sleeping tablets, mate. I've got got to get some sleeping tablets. So he gave me something called Zopicline, which was as strong as a sleeping tablet as they could prescribe uh, for me. He gave me three. He said, I'm not allowed to give you any more because these are addictive. So I can't give you any more. Try one, that should work. Try half, no more than two. That's the end of it. I took one, wide awake, took another half, wide awake, took another half, wide awake. Go back to the doctor, he goes, well, it's something going on in your brain, mate. you need to go and speak to a, a therapist. I can't give you any more medication. This is as strong as I can give, and it's not done anything. Packs me off to go see the, the head doc, Dr. Helen McEwen, Thank you, Dr. Helen, love this woman forever just so happened that Dr. Helen McEwen happened to specialize working with adults with autism. Thank the heavens. Now she was a CBT therapist. So we, we went in to try and do some CBT to try and get me to sleep. But she basically, I don't know most of my mannerisms or what, she, she guessed something might be up. So she didn't tell me what she was doing. So we're having sessions. She's doing her discovery and checking a few things out. And then after about three or four weeks, she gets me to do a couple of tests. It's like, yeah, you're on the autism spectrum. And the reason why you can't sleep is because your nervous system's on fire because you've got anxiety. And the anxiety comes from not being able to process the inputs through your neurodiverse mind. Here are some strategies you can use. Life change, life change. I've had insomnia once since then, maybe. And that was only because there was some stressful stuff going on in my life when a friend of mine was, was reading really it. Other than that, not had it. The general anxiety, gone. Social anxiety, gone. Why? Because one of my gifts is learning things that are systemized. So I went back to what I'd learned um, with social dynamics because I couldn't talk to girls. So I learned to go and be a pickup artist so I can talk to girls.
0: <laughs>
2: and um, which actually works. It's crazy how this stuff works. And then realized one of my gifts is anything systemized. I can learn it. So I was like, yes. oh, well, part of the process of being a pickup artist is learning to build rapport. The reason mm-hmm. why men don't end up, get, they get friends owned by women is because they build too much rapport and it triggers the friend response in a woman so what did i do i deliberately triggered friend responses and then i had friends like actual friends but they all happened to be women because i understood the psychology of women over time then i learned to deploy part of that and develop more male friends over time and so on and so forth but so the social anxiety is gone most of the time, sometimes it kicks up when I'm in really foreign situations. We're but still human. We're still human, but for the most part, I've got enough tools so that oh, okay, my anxiety is kicking up here. I need to take a breather, or I need to express, hey, I'm like not really comfortable right now, or you know, excuse myself and go away. R- you know, resource. Create myself, some like nourishment that. for yourself. Exactly, nourish myself. Um, so yeah, that was my that was my Asperger's story. It was my insomnia actually led to me speaking to a particular doctor who just happened to be a specialist. Since then, I've worked with other people as well and worked with developing my, my toolkit to deal with the neurotypical world. But um, but it started with that diagnosis.
1: So this has been a big hour.
2: <laughs> it feels like 20 minutes though.
1: I know, it? but it's been, a, we, have, we have talked about a lot here. So I'm going to do yeah. a quick recap and yeah. then ask you to tell people where they can find you, ask if you have any last minute words and Mm -hmm. and all of that. But so I want everybody to just take a minute and consider where you may be able to add more nourishment in your life. Mm. Consider if there's maybe a physical thing or a diagnostic thing in your world that's contributing to your burnout and or overall feeling like shit that needs to be diagnosed. This is why on my intake form for free calls, there is a checkbox that says, I have seen my doctor. You might need to go again and ask different questions. And But if you feel like there might be something that's leading you astray, push until you get An answer, even if that answer is there's nothing leading you astray. But that's really incredibly important because a lot of us that, how old are you? 37. So I'm 38. So in our age group, a lot of us went undiagnosed because this was not talked about as much. Mm. It was not as well known. There's been a lot Mm -hmm. of neuroscience research in the meantime, women are especially underdiagnosed with neurodivergent things. I was going to say issues, mm-hmm. but I don't really think that they're issues. I think neurodivergence mm-hmm. is normal. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't even like the word divergence. I think it's, it's crappy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a different normal. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that that's really important. So A, how can you nourish yourself? B, is there something going on that needs particular attention? And C, no matter where you are in despair with burnout, because burnout often comes with despair as a word that is constantly repeated, there is a way to get you to the tipping point. And there are people like Daniel and myself and thousands of others that exist to help you get there. And so you are not alone and there is help and there are systems. And so I think th- those are my wrap-up points. What would you add? And also, sometimes you're going to invent a toilet and then the Thames is going to be full of shit and then you're going to have to clean it up.
2: Yeah, so be ready to clean your shit up. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would just love to say, we've, we've gone into a lot, right? We've gone down the rabbit hole and we've gone to different. I'm actually remembering all of the things we've spoken about. Here's the thing. Take one thing away.
0: Mm.
2: You know, Kelly's just giving you your food. Easy, digestible, doable steps. At the end of the day, doing one thing, integrating it is going to be a lot more than you trying to do a million things and not getting anything done because you burnt out and you're overwhelmed. One thing. Mm. Then maybe okay. next week you do the next thing. And then a week after that, you try something else. So maybe you try this thing and it gets you to a place where you're good. Just do one thing, do it consistently get some expansion from it, and then add something else. When, I always like to say, push your edge and not your buttons, Mm. right? Growth is going to come from pushing the edge. There's going to be discomfort at the edge. That is growth. There's no discomfort. You're not doing anything. You're saying the same. If that's what you want to do, thumbs up. Not for me, but there you go. But push your edge, but not your buttons. Because at the end of the day, what are you pushing your buttons for? To be a better person, uh, to be a greater person, to have more money, to do this. At the end of the day, we're all going to pop our clogs. We're all going back to the dirt and none of this is gonna matter anyway. What matters is the experience that we're having here whilst we're above the ground, the dash between the two dates, as they say about the tombstones. And if we're spending that entire time obsessing over how I'm gonna be remembered, what's gonna be my net worth? What's my balance sheet next week? Mm -hmm. What's gonna be my, am I gonna hit the target? Am I gonna get a new Porsche? Was that that person
1: mad at me last week because I didn't do the thing they asked?
2: Exactly. Like take life less seriously because at the end of the day, none of us are getting out of it alive anyway. Enjoy the experience. And when you're coming from it from that place, I think even the contrast and the tension that we're going to experience, like, oh, how interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Versus, oh my God, my world is ending. (laughs) I just think if we just, the purpose of life for me is to live, Mm -hmm. right? Agreed. Enjoy it. Push the edge, not the buttons. Take away one thing. That's what I would love to, to leave with the listeners.
1: I love that. And how can everyone find you?
2: Dreamwithdan.com. We've got free resources. We've got a call, cool heart coherence visualization might be good for the listeners. That's we about love heart coherence
1: around here. We love heart coherence around here.
2: About three and a half minutes you could inject in, you know, pop it in your day when you start to get that.
1: You just cut out for a second. I'm not sure why.
2: Check. Yeah, there you are is. yeah pop that in and get yourself a bit of a tune-up um yeah you can get the free resources but dreamwithdan.com is the place where all the things happen
1: cool then i loved this conversation
2: me too
1: i'm so grateful for everything you went through
2: thank you me too now, now. to bring
1: you to bring you to this place where <laughs> you could share this with us in this way Um, And I'm also grateful for you allowing me to challenge you a little bit. And I really loved your response. So I appreciate that as well. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your energy on the show this week and fried fans.
2: Thank you for not rejecting the (laughs) the request.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do get a lot of pitches. I was telling Daniel, I get a lot of pitches and his really intrigued me. And I really wanted to have this conversation and I'm so glad that I did. Um, So he made it through the, The sieve of of podcast pitch requests. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. All right, fried fans, we are wrapping up another episode. Please share this with everyone who really just needs to absorb this information into their ears, their hearts, their minds, their bodies. And go nourish yourself, please. Until next time.